the trial in Cobb Lens is, is the apex of where that determined push has led. Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update. In partnership with justiceinfo.net. All rise. So, hi, Janet. We uh, are getting together over Skype to do um, a justice update because there's a lot of excitement over that landmark trial that has started in Germany. Yeah, it's uh, caught both of our attention. I think it caught the attention of uh, all of the world that, that we're interested in because it seems to be the first trial of uh, anybody who worked within the Syrian state apparatus and it's happening in Germany, in Koblenz. I'm not even too sure where Koblenz is, but uh, it looks like a fascinating trial. Yeah, and there are two people who are alleged to be former Syrian uh, intelligence officials charged with crimes against humanity for allegedly torturing uh, opposition activists. And to tell us a bit more about the background, we have Balkis Jara, Associate International Justice Director at Human Rights Watch, and Sarah Kayali, a Syria researcher for Human Rights Watch, to tell us a bit more about it. Hi. Hi, Hello. everyone. Hi. Um, so let's get to the basics. Um I th I'm not sure who best to ask this to, but I, I, you can take the question that you think is best suited to you. So we first have a very basic question. Who exactly is on trial and, and what are they on trial for? Yeah, this is Balkis. I, I can take that question. Um, the two accused in the case are Anwar R and Ayad A., um, and their last names are protected according to German privacy laws. Um, Enwar is an alleged former intelligence officer and Ayad is a lower ranking subordinate at Syria's General Intelligence Directorate, one of the country's four main intelligence um, agencies and they're commonly referred to collectively as the Muhabarat. Um, Both men were arrested in Germany a year ago in February 2019 as part of a joint uh, probe with French judicial officials. Um, and that, that investigation um, was the result of a series of criminal complaints that were filed by German, a German human rights organization that you probably are all familiar with the European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights, or ECCHR, um, as well as Syrian lawyers, activists, torture survivors, and, um, and others. So, Balkis or Sarah, does that help for us to understand exactly why it's in Germany? It's because these two guys were already in Germany themselves, and therefore... Uh, Germany is able to put them on trial or or is there um, another kind of deeper reason why Germany is uh, is involved with this? Yes, I can take that one as well. I mean, German authorities have said that both the defendants entered Germany as asylum seekers. Um, Enwar in 2014 and Ayad in 2018. Um, at the same time, um, this case is actually based on Germany's, uh, well, it's possible because of uh, Germany's laws recognize universal jurisdiction over um, certain of the most serious crimes under 
international law um, that allow for the investigation and prosecution of those crimes. And you mentioned they were charged with crimes against humanity. Um, and, and so that's, um, that's the basis on which this trial is proceeding. Neither, neither of them are German nationals. They're both Syrian nationals. I wanted to ask Sarah, are, were these names known? You've done a lot of research on, on Syrian uh, accusations of crimes and, and, and breaches of human rights. Were these like, are these big fish? Were these names that you, that you know, that you recognize when they came up? Or are these the people who happen to be in Germany? Yeah, so um, Anwar Ar is one of the is one of the most recognized names, um, especially among Syrian community. Um, many Syrian activists and former detainees have actually been uh, tortured personally by Anwar Ar, um, or were detained in Branch Two Fifty One at the time. So it's definitely a name um, that's well known among circ- among uh, researchers and experts that work on Syria. There's also a fascinating story of how he was uh, arrested uh, because this isn't, he was, I, I believe he was recognized by f- fellow asylum seekers in, in human rights uh, organizations. Yeah, so he was, he was actually seen um, multiple times by uh, several Syrian asylum seekers, including a human rights lawyer um, in, in, in the center that they were in, in a supermarket, um, and then again, I think in a, in a shop for tools. So it was, it was actually a chance uh, encounter um, that began all of this. There are a lot of um, quite shocking details about uh, what they're alleged to have been involved with. I, mean, I was reading figures like 4,000 people um, who had been tortured um, and um, 58 counts of murder that they're up against. Um, I'm kind of wondering whether the details of this trial will actually bring home to people what the reality of what happened in Syria or, or maybe what is still happening, I don't know. We hope so. I mean, that's that's really one of the, um, I think, major successes of the trial even before it started is that its ability to communicate, not just to a German audience, but to a wider international audience, exactly what's happening in Syria. And I mean, for researchers who work on Syria, we know this. We know that the Syrian government has been accused of widespread and systematic um, torture and sexual violence against peaceful protesters and anti-government um, dissidents, but I think the fact that this trial is happening in Germany and the fact that that there is now attention on what um, these two individuals are exactly accused of really brings this um, the scale of the issue uh, to to people in a different way. Um, I mean, f- to be responsible for 4,000 counts of torture is significant um, for one person. So you can imagine what the rest of the state apparatus is responsible for. Yeah, because this is just a, s- a small cog, I guess, in the system. Um, so you are hoping also that this exposes the wider entire system of it, because this is a one detention facility in Damascus, or is it like the largest detention facility? How 
you know, how how did the crime scale up? Is this just a, a very small part of it, or was this at one of the main thing facilities where this happened? It's really a drop in the ocean. I mean, branch two fifty one is really among um, dozens of branches, both known and unknown, um, where people commit torture against detainees um, as well as sexual violence. So it really is um, a drop in the ocean in terms of the scale of what has happened in in Syria since before two thousand and eleven and what really, um, scarily enough, continues to happen today. I'm a bit, um, well, let, let me try and admit it, I'm a bit confused sometimes by how many possible opportunities there could be to put people on trial for things in Syria. There seem to have been so many different um, initiatives, so many different places that things have happened, uh, so many different organisations involved. Um, I'm just wondering, do, do you think that this is going to actually open a floodgate or or are we still only going to see occasional things like this that we have to kind of fit it into the puzzle ourselves? Yeah, I think, you know, this case is, is a part of a mounting effort, as you, as you described it, to, to hold perpetrators accountable for the very horrific atrocities that we've seen unfold in Syria for nearly nearly a decade and the trial in Koblenz is is the apex of where that determined push has led not only because of the high rank of of one of the suspects but also because as we've been talking about it will address you know the type of brutal criminality that's been emblematic of, of the conflict in, in, in Syria. Um, but, uh, you know, more is obviously needed. Um, and this case is an important first step in, in puncturing what we're calling, um, you know, that wall of, of impunity in Syria. But uh, the trial on its own and other cases that we're aware of in Germany and across Europe um, are, um, you know, insufficient and they highlight the need for a more comprehensive justice process. Um, so these these investigations and prosecutions should be seen for what they are. They're, they're a limited, but they're a, a, also a vital start and, and, a, and a step in asserting the rule of law um, in, in the face of all, all of that um, suffering. And as you said, they could, and we hope they will create the conditions um, to push the door even wider to pursue um, accountability in, in a meaningful and in a comprehensive way. So let me just ask then, um, where else should we be looking? Um, if I understand you, you think there are other places in Europe where there could be further trials? Where should we look to next after Koblenz? Well, I'm sure we'll see uh, more cases coming out uh, of Germany. Um, uh, German judicial authorities together with um, authorities in, in Sweden have really been the, the trailblazers as far as investigations of crimes in Syria have been um, concerned. They were the first two countries um, to uh, bring cases to trial. Um, and there are a number of reasons, I think, for the fact that um, both Sweden and uh, Germany were 
uh, the two first. Um, I think we'll probably see um, some uh, activity in France as well. As I mentioned, um, this case and the arrests uh, of the two accused were the result of a, a joint cooperation between German and um, uh, French authorities. Um, but victims and others have filed complaints in other jurisdictions, um, including in um, Austria, in Norway. Um, so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Um, as you know, these types of investigations are are very complex, um, and particularly because the crimes have taken place uh, many thousands of miles away, and because the investigations are. Uh, taking place in the midst of an ongoing conflict. And, and Sarah, did this, I mean, internationally, obviously, this is an important step and it's an end to impunity and all this, but does that kind of trickle down to the region? Do people um, see it there as an important step or is it just as very far away in a court that, that people don't really understand or can follow? How is it seen? I think reactions to it really have been um, have been mixed because on the one hand, I think a lot of um, Syrians and researchers who work on this issue um, do feel that this is this is a very important signal um, to people who remain in Syria that uh, that justice is sort of is on the horizon, um, even as they continue to experience abuses and as many of um, the officials there um, continue to commit violations with with impunity. Um, at the same time, I do think that. Um, a lot of us really hope for more in the region um, and hope for sort of a concerted accountability effort even within Syria itself, um, although we recognize that that's uh, a long time coming. So it's, it's, it's a mixed bag, and I think people understand that um, this is a very important step, but in the, in, in the long term, more is needed the attention of Syria was already kind of not as intense as in the beginning. And now with the uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis, is there still that push for, for accountability? Or do you see the government's attention uh, in other countries that were pushing for it now weakening because everybody's looking at their own country and looking at this medical health crisis and having not as much attention for potential human rights violations? Honestly, I, I've, I've really been uh, pleasantly surprised by the attention that's been paid, um, not just to this trial, but also the commitment that continues to be displayed for the pursuit of accountability for violations committed in Syria. Um, and I think this is something that has continued even as attention to what is happening in Syria has waned. Um, and that's, that's something that's... Um, that honestly is a credit um, to the Syrian lawyers and activists who continue to push this and make sure that it's on the agenda of, of, of mainly European countries. Yeah, I mean, also just to add, the more, the more of this kind of judicial activity that we see in response to the demands and hard work uh, of victims, the harder it's going to be to to sweep the accountability issue uh, under the rug, even as the international community's attention may shift focus to to other issues. 
And in the background, we also have um, teams uh, of investigators, including the one that was established by the UN General Assembly, that are continuing to do their work. Um, and that's, that's ongoing, and we hope that that will also bear fruit in the future. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming and explaining this to us, and we hope to have you on uh, for a longer episode at some time in the future. Yeah, thanks very much, Palkis and Sarah. Thank you for, for joining us from, uh, from a distance over our uh, shaky Skype lines uh, as, we, uh, <laughs> as we try to make sense of still what's going on in other parts of the world. Thank you so much for thank having you. us and for thank your you. attention to this issue. All right, bye. This was Asymmetrical Haircuts, your international justice podcast hosted by me, Janet Anderson. And me, Stephanie van den Berg. You can find out all about the show and why we interview women experts on our website, asymmetricalhaircuts.com. Where you'll also find all the ways to subscribe and don't miss an episode. Do that. You can follow us on Twitter as well, at asymmetricalh. This show was brought to you in partnership with justiceinfo.net. Music is by audionautics.com. Stay safe and enjoy your day.